Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, thanks for welcoming me to 2020. Let's try it again. Happy New Year. Thank you. It's the future, right? We're in 2020, the roaring 20s. We made it, right? Well, maybe, maybe it's too early to say we're in the roaring 20s. We don't really know how things are going to go. Uh, but one thing we do know is that we all got a little bit older together. And I just have a question for you. As we get older, as we're getting older together, do you think we're growing less anxious? So as, as we're getting older, as we're maturing, as those gray hairs are popping out all over the place, are we growing less anxious? See, I, I'm not super sure we are. I feel like I, I look around, I go online, and anxiety is in the air. You know, I, I YouTubed like 2020, and all these people are making predictions, and they're not super happy. One of them started out with a guy saying he just hopes the zombie apocalypse happens right now. Just get it out of the way. Anxiety is in the air. It's actually kind of this like companion that we're constantly walking through life with. Uh, And we're anxious about all kinds of things. We're anxious about big picture stuff, right? It's 2020. It's an election year. Who's going to be president? Oh man, don't talk about politics. Are things going to get better? It's so polarizing. Anxious. Oh my gosh, what's going on with Iran? Are we going to war? Is there going to be peace? Oh, what's happening? Anxious about big picture things things that are totally outside of our control, and we're anxious. We're not just anxious about big picture things, though. We're anxious about the small details in our life as well. Uh, Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer, they're uh, pastors, and they have a podcast. And one of the things they talk about in this podcast is the death of the school dance. Do you know about the death of the school dance? So let me just like lay this out for you. When I was a kid going to school dances, there were these people that were like ghosts kind of looming in the shadows of school dances called chaperones. All right. And it was like, hey, you're too close. Hey, what's in that bag? Hey, get your hands off. Right. Just like this kind of anxious people watching all these teenagers. And nowadays, though, uh, Sayers and Mark Comer, they describe uh, at school dances, you'll have kids over here in one corner, Kids over here in another corner. You could almost do it with like one chaperone because nobody's talking to each other. They're all staring at their phones. Why? They're anxious. Like, what if I say the wrong thing? What if my clothes aren't cool? There's this anxiety. Anxiety is in the air. It's it's a companion that we have. And I, I don't think that's just a problem for middle schoolers. Doesn't get better with age. And so we're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount today, but we're not going to jump back where we left off. We're going to look at this verse, uh, Matthew 6, 33. And I, I think this is a really important verse when it comes to helping us think about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be kingdom people. I think it's kind of the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is doing in this verse is he's teaching us what life in the kingdom of God is like, and he contrasts it with anxiety. And he's saying like, hey, this is, this is the natural rhythm. This is where you live. But life in the kingdom is different. You see, and like, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to hear what Jesus says. Here's what he says. Here's the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I don't want you to hear that and hear Jesus making false promises. All right? He's not saying that life in the kingdom is an anxiety-free life. He's actually saying, speaking to people with real needs, real fears, real worries, and he's not saying, hey, if you follow Jesus, it's super easy. You're totally free from anxiety. And if you're anxious, there's something wrong with you. That's not, that's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. That's not the invitation this morning. The invitation is actually an invitation for anxious people who live in a chaotic world to experience freedom, not from their anxiety, but in the midst of their anxiety. The invitation this morning from Jesus is a freedom that if we give ourselves wholeheartedly to this thing called the kingdom of God, we will lose all the things we thought we could hold on to through anxiety. But we come out on the other end deeply alive. We learn what it means to really be alive when we give ourselves wholeheartedly over to this kingdom. See, what Jesus is confronting when he compares anxiety with the kingdom of God is he is getting at this this poverty mindset, this scarcity mindset that we all have. Like, oh, it's a tough world out there. Things go bump in the night. God is kind of a tough God, and it's really hard to get his attention. But if we just are anxious enough, and if we beg enough, and if we're frantic enough, maybe we'll get his attention, and he'll provide for us. That's not the worldview Jesus had at all. At all. Jesus is inviting us into this freedom to see God differently as a God who is a generous host, who has ample resources and loves providing for his children. So hear that as we read this passage. It's been our habit around these parts that what we're going to do is I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you all will reply, thanks be to God. We're hoping by doing this natural rhythm that it cultivates this heart of gratitude for God's word. So I'm going to read it. We're going to do that exercise, and then we're going to pray and ask for his help when it comes to thinking about anxiety. So this is Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 25, and we're going to read all the way to 34. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Here we go. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the flowers of the field. Watch them grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was not yet dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes grass, 
which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into a fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what we will wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for his help. Father, we need help seeing things clearly. Father, we're anxious because we ultimately know we're not in control. This is a scary world. But God, I pray that we would see and we would capture the vision that Jesus has for life in this kingdom. And that we would know that we are being invited into a life of vulnerability, of real risk-taking because we are so deeply loved so deeply cared for by a Father who loves providing for us. So, Father, I pray that we would change how we see you and we would embrace your love for us and go pursue your kingdom with everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, it's important to know like what he's talking about. What, what's the target that he's inviting us to aim toward? And, and like, you need to hear me say loud and clearly, like, we can, we can kind of hide behind this, like, pious attitude of escapism. Jesus is not inviting you into escapism when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, like, what do I mean by that? When Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God, he's not saying, seek heaven. He's not saying, hey, earth, this place is a dumpster fire. Don't worry about it, though. You're going away to this place called heaven, which is far away from the cares of this broken world. So just kind of hang in there and just dream of escape. That's not what Jesus has in mind as he talks about the kingdom of God. That's not what the prophets had in mind. That's not what the apostles had in mind when they talk about this thing, the kingdom of God. When John, who's writing in Revelation, in Revelation 21.1, when he's talking about the end, when he's talking about the culmination of all things, he says this, Then I saw heaven coming down. The kingdom of God is about God's rule and God's reign breaking into this broken world. We don't leave this world. Heaven comes down toward us. It's so important that we get that because we don't want to be hiding behind this escapism because that doesn't rescue us from anxiety. Rather, what Jesus is saying is, hey, the kingdom of God is about renewal. It's about God ruling and reigning and fixing his broken creation. And you are a part of that broken creation. And you get to experience renewal. And you get to be a part of that renewal in this place, in this time. And that's super freeing. That's so very freeing. Jesus is not calling us to this like defeatist, escapist mindset. Rather, he's calling us into the places that we live and work and breathe. He's saying that we can experience and be a part of this kingdom in the here and now through this idea of renewal. 
So like the prophet Isaiah, when he talks about the kingdom of God, he says in Isaiah 52, he says this, like, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news, right? I'm like, oh, that, that sounds familiar. And he says this, he says, those who bring the message of salvation. Well, what exactly is that message of salvation? He tells us in the next verse, he says, your God reigns. When God is reigning, we experience salvation because he's restoring what was lost. That relationship that we had that has been fractured by sin threw everything into chaos. And now God is coming back for his broken creation. Please do not hear, seek first the kingdom of God as escapism. That's so easy to do. Especially we read this passage and it says it's like, hey, don't worry about what you wear. Right? And you're like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Here's what God's doing. He's saying this. He's like, hey, in the kingdom of God, there's no more Patagonia. Okay? H&M, it's a thing of the past. All right? Ain't nobody going to look nice. You got to dress like your dad. Okay? Fanny pack on the side. Those white New Balance shoes that he mowed the lawn in that he wears everywhere. That's what Jesus is calling us into. And so there's a sense of like, ah, seek, seek the kingdom of God with everything I have. I don't know if I want that. But that's not what we're being invited to either. It's not escapism, and it's not like, I don't know what we call it, the death of taste or something. Uh, The author, uh, Steve Turner, talks about this in in one of his books. He talks about, like, we have this idea of God and what he's like, and we're just pretty sure he doesn't like what we like. And so when we're told, hey, with reckless abandon, pursue this kingdom, there's a sense of, like, yeah, what does that look like? Are you saying that, like, if I just, like, now just get super involved in church, like, all of a sudden all my problems are going to go away? No. That's not what this invitation is an invitation into. This invitation is, a, is, a, is an invitation to be a part of, like, hey, God is ruling and reigning. And where God is reigning, he brings restoration. He brings wholeness. He brings peace. And God wants to bring peace to the places where you play and work. God wants to restore and renew his creation. He's not abandoning it. Revelation 21, he comes down into this creation. And so now the invitation is for us to give ourselves wholeheartedly to that plan. But we have a hard time. Why? Anxiety. That's what Jesus is trying to do. So he's giving us this really big picture idea, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. Like, well, how, how in the world do I do that? How in the world, like, that's a really, those are the big cares of the world. Like, we have the anxiety and these big issues that we have no control over. Well, how do I, how do I live in the kingdom of God? That's such a big question. I have no idea how to do it. But Jesus, right here in this passage, walks us through these rhythms, these rhythms that we can add into our lives That if we do this, this will cultivate a posture where we, as a regular rhythm, are just with reckless abandon seeking this kingdom. And here's these three rhythms. I'm going to give them to you all at once. We're going to unpack them. First rhythm that Jesus gives is how do we live in this kingdom? Number one, take time to unplug. If you want to live in the kingdom of God, you need to take time to unplug. Secondly, if you want to seek first the kingdom of God, you need to take time to remind yourself of God's generosity. You take time to remind yourself of God's generosity. And then thirdly, and these are sequential, so don't, we're going to talk about risks. I'm going to invite you to take risks, but don't start with risks, okay? We're going to, we're going to work our way toward risk, okay? 
after we've taken time to unplug, we've reminded ourselves of God's generosity, then Jesus invites us to take the risks that he presents to us. So when Jesus is trying to present to his listeners what life in the kingdom of God is like, what does he do? Does he say, oh, hey, you're anxious. You're being controlled by anxiety. Here's what you should do. Read Isaiah twice and then come back and see me in the morning. Take two Isaiahs and come see me in the morning. (laughs) That's not what he does. He does something that actually on the surface sounds kind of like hippie-ish. He's like, go outside. Go outside. Look at the birds. Look at flowers. Go outside. See, like, that's the very thing that anxiety doesn't want you to do. We're anxious about things, and it's, we get frantic, and we keep moving. And if we don't take care of ourselves, this whole thing is going to fall apart. And Jesus is like, unplug. Unplug. And in doing that, in that unplugging, there's a healing moment in there for us where we get taken away from the things that are making us anxious, and we can look back with a little bit of clarity. This is what he says. This is why he says, hey, look at the birds, look at the grass. There's another time in Scripture where someone tells us to look at nature, and it's in the book of Proverbs. The writer of the Proverbs says, hey, go, if you're lazy, go look at ants. Just sit on the ground and stare at ants. Why? Because when you study that, you see, wow, they're, they got nobody telling them what to do, and they're hustling. Here's what, here's what the writer of the Proverbs is trying to do and what Jesus is trying to get at. When we, when we take time to unplug, we're cultivating wisdom. See, like anxiety, it makes sense, right? We live in this harsh world. There's scarce resources. If I don't take care of me, nobody's going to take care of me. So I have to fight for what's mine. When we're not even aware we're doing that, it's almost just this natural movement we're in. And we just go through life like that, never questioning, never unpacking. Like, hey, why do I do the things I do? Why am I checking my email at 1030 at night? What am I doing when I do that? We don't even ask that because we're just so anxious. I have to do that. If I don't do that, there's some kid in Iowa that works at this like cool startup and he's going to take my job. And so I got to be hustling. But when we unplug, when we take this time to unplug, we start to grow in wisdom. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into, to see things the way they really are. And you need to unplug in three ways. First, you need to unplug daily. Daily. There should be an end to our work. We are not always available. We are not always constantly cycling through, oh man, I got to work. I got to be seen as being productive. I got to be seen as being helpful. There needs to be times each day where we cultivate this habit of unplugging. That's just a small rhythm that we can do. But as we do it over time, it builds and it builds and it becomes bigger And it helps us see in the big picture how we fit into the kingdom of God. So instead of using our careers to advance our own kingdoms, we actually can see like, man, there's not really a great end to that. What am I doing? And we can take these slow steps to seeing how our careers fit into the kingdom of God. How we can be about renewal in these small details in our life. Days off. Secondly, there needs to be a weekly withdrawal. A day where you don't do any work. 
I'm not trying to give you a, a new law, like you must do this, but the Bible kind of assumes this natural rhythm of your life that there is a day each week where you do not work. When we, there's a sermon that, I hate referencing myself, that sounds so arrogant, but there's a sermon I gave uh, when Ed went on sabbatical. And one of the things we talked about, the, the importance of sabbatical, was that that idea of Sabbath, that was nowhere in the ancient Near East. In the culture that Israel lived, nobody did that. It was totally radical. And what was it communicating? My career is not my God. And like, it's different saying that. Yeah, my career is not my God. And doing that. I'm going to not check my email all day. I'm going to stare at birds all day. So we need to do it daily. We need to do it weekly and then annually. Just get away. Annually, just, just totally abandoning your post for a little bit. And look, I totally get everyone in this room is in different seasons. There are some of you who are students. There are some of you who are stay-at-home parents. And you're like, <laughs> daily? What are you talking about? And this is where we need to get creative, where we need to work together. But daily, finding time. Weekly, withdrawing. And then annually, unplugging. Why? Why do we need to take time to unplug? Because it takes time to remind ourselves of God's generosity. When we are running in a hamster wheel, and we keep running faster and faster... It only breeds more and more chaos. When we take time to unplug, we get clarity, we grow in wisdom, and we see that we are not seeing things the way God sees them. Listen to how Jesus talks about anxiety. Okay? Here's not what he says. He doesn't say, hey, are you anxious? Stop. Just trust me. Okay? It's fine. Trust me, okay? Don't ask questions. Just trust. You're welcome. He does not say that. Listen to what he does say, though. Look at the birds of the air. This is verse 26. They don't sow or reap or store in barns. And then listen to this. Yet your heavenly Father, your Father feeds them. Aren't you much more valuable than birds? Here's what he's doing. He's reminding us that our value doesn't come from our ability to provide. Our value doesn't come from the status that our neighbors see us. That our value comes by being loved by this Father. Look, and just one of the terrible things about being a preacher of God's Word is like, I have to preach to you things that I am not living. It's a real bummer. Like, I'm serious. Like, so... Uh, earlier this week, right? Like I send an email to Martin. Martin's the chair of the elder board. I send this email, I just poof, shoot it off. And then I wait and I'm like, oh my goodness. I really didn't provide a ton of context for this email. Oh my goodness. What if Martin thinks I'm trying to start a coup? Oh my gosh. <laughs> what in the world? What if I like, what if I create all this disaster because I didn't really like put all these qualifiers on this email? Oh my goodness. What in the world? I should call. I need to call him. It's been like 10 minutes. He hasn't emailed me back. Oh, he's probably angry. And then I'm like, oh, I shouldn't be worrying about this. I should be prepping my sermon. Oh, man, what am I? I'm preaching on anxiety. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) This is stupid. This is so crazy. What am I doing? 
And that's why we need to keep in mind desperately this idea of training versus trying. It's something we've talked about regularly in the sermon. It comes up again and again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't show up and say, try harder. You're anxious, cut it out, try not to be anxious. He's not saying, hey, there's freedom from anxiety. You can have a totally anxious free life. Here's what he's saying. You are an anxious mess. You are. And yet, your heavenly father cares. You have tremendous value. And so we don't try not to be anxious. We are training our hearts in the midst of our anxiety to trust. Listen to this wild verse. Okay, this is uh, verse 27. Some of your translations will say this. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Literally what it says is this. Can any of you by worrying add inches to your height? Okay, that's a ridiculous question, right? Everybody knows nobody gets taller through just, oh man, I wish I was taller. It's ridiculous, all right? But that word adds, nobody can add inches to his life is used again. And Jesus is connecting this idea. Look with me in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else, all these things will be added unto you. Here's what Jesus is trying to say. Worry doesn't do anything. But we really think it does. Like, I really believe, I mean, I would never articulate it like this, but I really believe that just sending this anxious energy into the air, somehow Martin will feel that and read my email and totally get my heart's desires and my anxiety did something. It was totally worth it. I would never say that. I don't really believe that, but, but yet I'm anxious. We trust our anxiety to do something, and Jesus lovingly comes to our level and says, yo, did anybody get taller by worrying about their height? No. And he says, do you know how people get provided for? A father loves them and provides. See, like, we have this scarcity mindset. Jesus did not have this. We're like, man, it's a cold, dark world. Things go bump in the night. I got to take care of myself. I got to hustle. But Jesus saw the world as like, hey, grass. You walk by flowers all the time. We even have this stupid saying, stop and smell the roses. You don't do that. I don't do that. We walk by flowers. If you just stop and look at these things you're ignoring, they're extravagant. They're beautiful, and they're gone tomorrow. Aren't you worth more than that? But yet we think anxiety will provide for us. We trust our fears. And this is what Jesus says to us lovingly. Oh, you of little faith. He's trying to remind us that we live in a world where God loves providing for his creation. And and like, no matter what Peter tells you, you are worth more than birds. And look at how he cares for the birds. Like he's trying to say like, God loves you. You have worth. You are loved by this father. And that love takes care of you. Therefore, trust everything to him. Trust him. You can trust this God. You can rest in who he is. You can, it, it may feel, yeah, you don't have a job and bills are mounting up. Look at what it says. Doesn't your father know you need these things? It's an act of faith, learning to trust this God. And it's not, we don't get there by trying harder. We get there through the freedom of training. Through the freedom in the midst of our anxiety. It's like, whew, I messed this up. 
but I'm learning as I mess this up. Even in my failures, I'm being cared and loved for by this Father, and that's life in the kingdom. Uh, someone I meet with regularly gave this phrase to me. It's, it, I think about it a lot. It's like, hey, Craig, you're young. You're, you're going to mess things up. And, and this is what he said. You're like a car just driving, and you're going to miss a few exits. It's okay. Just turn the car around and hit your exit. That's freedom in the midst of anxiety. Like, we're going to get anxious again. Just because you heard one sermon on anxiety doesn't mean now that you have an anxiety-free life. But it does mean in the midst of that chaos, in the midst of not knowing what's going on, you can experience life. You can experience love. You are cared for in the midst of that. See, like anxiety, what anxiety is, is it's all about this fear of losing. Like, oh my goodness, what if I lose status? That's, that's why there's the death of the middle school dance, right? If I go and I say something and it just comes out wrong, people are going to think less of me. I will lose status. If people misread these emails, I will lose status. Anxiety is this fear of losing And this is the paradox of the kingdom of God. That when we do lose, that when we just say, Lord, I I trust you, I can't hold on to this stuff anymore. When we give ourselves wholeheartedly to that, when we lose, when we loosen our death grip on what we don't want to lose, we find life on the other end. We experience love and care. And like these rhythms are how we slowly Build it into our lives. It's big picture. Trust the kingdom. Seek the kingdom with all you have. We do that by unplugging. We do that by reminding ourselves that the way we feel doesn't always match up with the way the world is. And we remind ourselves of that. And like just, just a side note on this, like two great ways for you to do these two things, these two disciplines. Uh, Ed is going to be starting a class it's going to go for 12 weeks. Uh, it's the first and third Saturday, 9 a.m. So this Saturday, 9 a.m. Oh, no. This is not the, first, the next Saturday, the third. I'm not good at math. The third Saturday of January, 9 a.m. here at the church, we're going to be practicing doing some of these disciplines. Because for myself and for a lot of us, like, I felt like following Jesus, spiritual disciplines just meant like prayer, reading my Bible. That's, those are the only tools I had in my toolbox. But what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's like, actually, going outside is a spiritual discipline. Like, watching creation is a spiritual discipline. And we can learn how to cultivate more ways to unplug together. So that's, it's called the furnace, first and third Saturdays for 12 weeks. Another thing, though, is we need accountability. And that's why we have community groups. Community groups provide accountability for, like, anxious people who are training to be honest about failures. Those are starting up again in January. We'll have more details about that. But you're not, you're not in this alone. God has provided a body for you to learn to unplug and to remind yourself of generosity, of his generosity. And once we do those two things, here's where we're headed next. All right? Remember, this is sequential. Don't start at number three, okay? I do not want anybody saying, well, my pastor told me to take risks, so I quit my job and went to Bible school. (laughs) Don't do that. Like, seriously, do not quit your job and go to Bible college, okay? That's escapism. 
Maybe God has you where you are. Here's, here's what he's saying. As, as we take time to cultivate wisdom, to remind ourselves of his generosity, then what we can do is we can take the risks he puts in front of us. And look, those risks for different people, they're going to be different levels, but start with baby steps. See, remember, we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're not seeking first our own kingdom. So again, don't go to your, to like your boss tomorrow and be like, hey, you know, I'm going to take a risk. You know what I really think of you? I don't think you're doing your job very well. I think I could do way better. You will get to experience and apply this passage in a brand new way when anxiety comes because you don't have a job, okay? So I'm not saying do that. Here's what I am saying, though. When we start to see the world differently, when we start to cultivate this mindset that, hey, we're being cared for and loved for by a father who's a generous host, we can now say, hey, the pressure is off me. These things I was afraid of losing, my status, my job, I'm provided for. I am cared for. I can take risks. And so like one of the risks that we want to move into, to lean into as a church together in 2020 is engaging our community better. Uh, I want to ask the question, like, if Compass Church disappeared tomorrow, would anyone miss it? And like, here's how we get to a place where that answer is yes. We start engaging our neighbors. And look, we can engage our neighbors in a way that's super panicky of like, oh man, uh, I have this neighbor, they're not saved. What I'm going to do is I'm going to knock on the door, I'm going to tell them the whole gospel, and if they slam the door in my face, well, it's because they had a hard heart. Okay. Hey! Hard heart. That's not what we, what, when we talk about the kingdom and seeking first the kingdom, what we can lean into. How about this? How about if we trust God that he's worked everything out, we don't have to share everything we know about the faith. We don't have to share everything we know about Christianity in one 10-minute conversation with our neighbor. We can enter their world calmly because we're provided for and get to know them. And we can slowly take steps to understand their world and engage them on their level, answer questions they're asking. Those are tremendous risks. Look, like I'm a pastor, and it's hard for me to do that with my neighbors. And like part of part of it, I have it in my job, right? Like, hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, oh, like in my heart, I'm like, can we maybe talk about something else? Like, I'm, there's this fear, this anxiety. But if we together are saying, hey, we're going to step out. And we're going to try to get to know our neighbors, know them on their terms, listen, listen well, and maybe listen for several times getting together with them, and then slowly start to engage. That's a risk, and I think it's a risk that we can take. Again, we're not talking about escapism here, but we're talking about the kingdom breaking in to our world, so now we can break into that world. God's kingdom has broken into us, renewed us. We can break into Colombia for its renewal. But it takes us taking risks. Like I, my prayer, my hope for the future of Compass Church is that we grow. And I do not want to grow because so-and-so left such-and-such a church. And they really like the music here. They really like the donuts here. And so they're here. That's fine. But like what I really want to see Compass growing as, as lost people coming in here and feeling welcomed and loved and cared for and meeting Jesus 
and then they themselves living in this kingdom, seeking it with all that they have. I want to see that happen. That takes risks from all of us. It's going to take me going out of my comfort zone. It's going to take you going out of your comfort zone. It's going to take all of us taking risks. But I totally believe we can do it because we're loved and we're cared for. God's not pushing us out of the nest because he hates us. He's pushing us out of the nest so we will experience the freedom of life in this kingdom. As we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we've had several guides helping us uh, see truth in a new way. So we've been help, rock and rollers have been helping us understand the kingdom of God. So Leonard Skinner helped us understand the heart, that God's after our heart, not just behavior modification. Oasis helped us think about anger. And today our guide technically isn't a rock and roller. She's technically a country star. But she is as every bit as rock and roll as anybody, and it's Dolly. So Dolly Parton, uh, I didn't really know much about her, and I've been learning a lot about her lately. Uh, but when she started getting famous, she had a really hard time breaking into the country music scene in Nashville. She was writing these like deep songs and these sad songs, but just nothing would break through. People said she had like this kind of weird voice. She wasn't really well sought after. But then she got her big break when Porter Wagner, who was like the, the big country hit maker in Nashville, I, from what I understand, he was like a country version of Jimmy Fallon. He had like this like variety show where there were comedians and people saying country. And uh, Dolly got her big break when Porter invited her to, to be like this, the nightly band. She would sing every night on this show. And it wasn't going well. Because she replaced uh, Norma Jean and everybody loved Norma Jean. And here's Dolly and she's got this weird voice and we don't really know what to think of her. And so she wasn't well received at all. But then she and Porter started singing together, doing these duets. And man, did she blow up. People loved her. She won all these awards. She started hits, hit after hit after hit. She was just like a hit maker writing all these great songs. And uh, as though, so she starts rising and Porter starts noticing like, hey, I, I used to be king here and now people like you more than me and maybe my time's up here. So he starts getting anxious, right? He starts feeling threatened by Dolly. And so he starts kind of having this, like, you can watch it. If you YouTube their performances, you can see this, like, tension uh, between them. Like, he's, like, threatening violence against her. He says he's going to, like, smack her. And she's, like, not listening to him. And there's all these, like, behind-the-scenes speculation. Oh, like, was there this romance going on? Whatever was going on, there was this love-hate relationship. And so now Dolly was at a fork in the road. She's saying, I have to take a risk. So if I want my career to take off, I have to saw off the branch that I'm sitting on. There's going to be tremendous risk, and I had to say goodbye to this relationship that really meant a lot to me. So one night she goes home, she writes a song, and then she heads into Porter Wagner's office, who, keep in mind, is like the man, right? And she's, this is totally rock star, okay? If you, if you ever quit your job, this is like the way to do it, right? So she has a guitar, she sits down, and she pens the song that she wrote that night before, I Will Always Love You. And she sings it to Porter, and it's like, hey, I love you, but I'm leaving, and he's crying, and he's like, fine, you can go. Total rock star, right? Gets better. So she's driving away, and in her autobiography, she talks about this, and it's raining, and she's driving back to Brentwood, and it's raining, and she says, she starts raining. She just starts crying and weeping. And this is profundity. Man, if anybody didn't think Dolly is profound, like, she's profound. Here we go. Here's what she says. She said, I was crying, and it wasn't a sadness that comes from loss. 
She said, there is a sadness that comes with a certain kind of freedom. Whew! That is profound. When we live in the kingdom of God, it's scary. Freedom is hard. Freedom is scary. It's so much easier to trust your anxiety. It's so much easier to feel like, no, I I really am in control. I really can do this. If I just worry a little bit more, I will push it over the hump and I'll make it. But to let go, to just say, I am going to give everything I have to your kingdom. I'm going to trust you. That's scary. And it's hard. But we're not being invited into freedom by a God who just likes to scare us, who just is this tough love God. We are being invited into freedom by a father who loves and values his children. Do we really believe that God loves lavishing his children with provision? That he loves providing for us? Or are we those of little faith? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the message of the Sermon on the Mount. And that we are loved. God, we, we know, we feel, we don't feel like we deserve love. But that's what grace is all about. That you love broken people and you love walking with us. Father, I pray that we would experience this renewal. That we are being called to this kingdom. To pursue you with everything we have. And to watch you provide for us. I pray that you do that. In Jesus' name, amen.